can be seated. Want to uh, wish all of you uh, in the room and watching uh, online uh, this morning a happy Valentine's Day. Uh, I was uh, got one of these kind of forwards, and uh, this is the stage of life I'm in with the ages of our kids. But it was uh, the the jokes that uh, kids tend to think are the funniest Valentine's jokes. So I'll share three, four of them with you. But what do you write in a slug's Valentine's Day card? Be my valent slime. What did the paperclip say to the magnet? I find you very attractive. What did the stamp say to the envelope on Valentine's Day? I'm stuck on you. Why didn't the skeleton want to send any Valentine's Day cards? His heart just wasn't in it. All right, so uh, open uh, your Bibles to Genesis 17. Uh, I want to start out with just uh, an obvious statement, and, but I want to explore this a little bit with you. Uh, and, and here's the statement. I am married to Cheryl. All right, those of you that have been around for a while, you know that's true. But let me ask you a follow-up question. All right, how do you know I'm married to Cheryl? All right, how, how do you know? Well, there's some signs that would certainly point to that. You could see us kind of hanging around each other and we each have a ring on our finger and you could surmise. It might take us a little bit to produce it, but you could ask to see our marriage certificate if you really wanted like legal proof. Certainly, I hope when we're near each other, the way we interact around and toward each other would certainly indicate a loving marriage relationship. There are signs. And, and here's the truth. In every covenant, in every relationship, in every relational covenant, there are signs of the relationship. Uh, we started talking about this covenant now, weeks ago now, that God was establishing uh, through Abraham, that God made certain promises to Abraham, that he would establish him into a nation and give him descendants, and his name uh, would be great, and the entire world would be blessed through this nation. And it says that Abraham believed, just a real simple statement, Abraham believed the Lord, and it was credited to him as righteousness. But make no mistake about it, as the covenant uh, is, uh, comes up again, there is, uh, there is a sign, there is a symbol that accompanies this coven, uh, covenant relationship with God. We're going to be in Genesis 17. Kind of walk through this text together a little bit. It's a long text, but we'll take a few breaks in and out just to talk. But when Abraham was 99 years old, all right, so this is 12, 13 years after the story we just studied last Sunday. So congratulations, in a week we've gone 13 years, all right? So when Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to him and said, I am the Lord God Almighty. Walk before me faithfully and be blameless, and then I will make my covenant between you and me and will greatly increase your numbers. Abraham fell face down and God said to him, as for me, this is my covenant with you. All right, so again, here we see it again. God is again renewing and restating the covenant. Here it is. You will be the father of many nations. No longer will you be called Abram. All right, we've been calling him Abraham, but before this, his name was Abram. Uh, your name will be Abraham, for I have made you the father of many nations. I will make you very fruitful I will make nations of you and kings will come before you. I will establish my covenant as an everlasting covenant between me and you and your descendants after you and for the generations to come to be your God and the God of your descendants after you. The whole land of Canaan where you now resign, uh, reside as a foreigner, I will give uh, as an everlasting possession to you and your descendants after you and I will be their God. All right, so... Here we see the, the, the restatement of the covenant, right? Descendants, land, greatness of name, 
and blessing, all right? So this has been very, very consistent since Genesis 12. We're, we're just plowing right on through that. Every time God restates the covenant, he is restating some version of this. Descendants, land, greatness of name, blessing, all right? Then God said to Abraham, as for you, you must keep my covenant, you and your descendants after you for the generations to come. This is my covenant with you and your descendants uh, after you. The covenant, you can kind of underline it. This is the covenant you are to keep. Every male among you shall be circumcised. Wait, what? Right? You are to undergo circumcision and it will be, you can underline this, the sign of the covenant. Remember that every covenant has signs and symbols. This is the sign of the covenant between me and you. For the generations to come, every male among you who is eight uh, days old must be circumcised, including those born in your household, bought with money from a foreigner, those who are not your offspring, whether born to your household or born or, or brought, uh, bought with your money, they must be circumcised. My covenant uh, in your flesh is to be an everlasting covenant. Any uncircumcised male who has not been circumcised in the flesh will be cut off as my people. He has broken, underline this, he has broken my covenant. All right? So, you got the covenant restated. We got the sign of the covenant. And now God's going to kind of tip his hat a little bit in, in relation to Sarah. God also said to Abraham, as for Sarai, your wife, you're no longer to call her Sarah. Now she will be Sarah. I will bless her and will surely give you a son by her. I will bless her so that she will be the mother of nations. Kings of people will come from her. So this is the first time God has said this, all right? That God has been articulating that the promises and the covenant were made specifically with Abraham. And we assume, because we read the story backward a little bit, that Sarah is included in that. But this is the first time that God has stated uh, that Sarah is included in it and that the, the child will come from Sarah. So God is now eliminating Lot, He's eliminating Eleazar. He's even eliminating Ishmael. And he's saying a son is going to come and he will be the promised child. Abraham fell face down and he laughed. Next chapter, it will be Sarah doing the laughing. And he said to himself, will a son be born to a man 100 years old? You'd laugh too or cry or some combination of the two. Uh, will Sarah bear a child at the age of 90? And Abraham said to God, if only Ishmael might live under your blessing. <laughs> so Abraham, he's feeling this mixture of blessing and like, I'm not sure I'm up for this. At 100 years old to raise a child, I'm not sure I've got this. How about Ishmael? Let's go with Ishmael. Ishmael seems nice, right? At this point, he's, thir he's 13. I'm not sure how nice he probably was, but you get, you get the point. He's like, Let's go with Ishmael. And then God said, yes, but your wife Sarah will bear you a son and you'll call him Isaac. And I will establish my covenant with him as an everlasting covenant for his descendants after him. As for Ishmael, I've heard you. I'll bless him. I will make him fruitful and will greatly increase his numbers. He will be the father of 12 rulers and I will make him into a great nation. But my covenant, I will establish it with Isaac, whom Sarah will bear to you by this time next year. Get the crib put together, Abraham. Baby's coming soon. You better get that nursery done. All right, when he had finished speaking with Abraham, God went up from him. On that very day, Abraham took his son Ishmael and all those born in his household or bought with his money, every male in his household, and circumcised them, as God told him. All right, I've got good news and bad news, guys. The good news is God has renewed the covenant. 
The bad news is I'm gonna need to form an orderly line here. Uh, and we're gonna do a little surgery, all right? Not a big deal, just a little surgery. That's the bad news, all right? Abraham was 99 years old when he was circumcised. His son Ishmael was 13. Abraham and his son Ishmael were both circumcised on that very day, and every male in Abraham's household, including those born in his household or bought from a foreigner, was circumcised with him. All right, so kind of strange text, but as we're going to see, this becomes a storyline throughout the Old and New Testament about the role of circumcision and faith. But God says to Abraham, uh, get back to this, this story before we move on to what the New Testament said, but God says to Abraham, circumcision is going to be the sign. It is going to be the symbol of this covenant with Israel, and it strikes us as a little bit odd only because of how common circumcision has become in our country, right? It's not at all uncommon for sons to be circumcised in our nation. When uh, our son Sam was born, uh, because of the way the adoption played out and health insurance, health insurance and all that stuff, we uh, really didn't have the opportunity to have him circumcised in the hospital. And so we brought him home and we talked to our family doctor and he said, listen, um, it's really not a major procedure. If, if you guys want to do that, just bring him into my office and I'll, I'll just do it in there. And we were like, cool, let's do that, all right? So uh, we brought Sam in. I don't remember how old he was. He couldn't have been a week, right? I mean, he was, yeah, he was, he was probably right around a week and we brought him in and uh, we had just purchased this new video camera and we were brand new parents. We videoed everything. And so we decided we'll go ahead and video this procedure. And I asked the doctor if it was okay. He gave me the thumbs up. We videoed the procedure, uh, brought Sam home. Everything went well. The next day or two, we were going to see Cheryl's family to introduce them to Sam for the first time. And it was our first time packing the car as kind of new parents. It's stressful because like, what if we forget to bring the right amount of diapers? And it's like, there's a target three miles away. We'll go, you know, but you're worried about all that stuff. And so we're packing the car. Well, at some point I took that video camera and placed it on top of the car. And in my baby fog, I got in the car and drove off. Never saw the camera again. I have these moments to this day. That was like nine nine plus years ago, um, nine and a half years ago. I have these moments where I still chuckle, imagining someone finding this video camera. (laughs) And there's only one video on it. (laughs) And I'm like, what is wrong with these people? They videoed one thing, and it was that. <laughs> and, and so that, that is a circumcision that would be shocking. Right, you imagine, oh, oh camera, let's see, ah, right? It would be shocking because you weren't expecting it, but nobody's really shocked by the idea of circumcision. That, that being said, it's become so commonplace that we don't even, in our country and in, in our background, we don't even really view it as a, a spiritual act anymore. It's just a, it's a medical procedure. That's usually done in a hospital. But God was calling on Abraham and Israel uh, to engage in circumcision at this time as a spiritual act of commitment to God and to his covenant. Now, why? Why circumcision? I'm so glad you asked that, all right? Um, (laughs) The the answer is we don't know for sure. We would have to ask God to know for sure. But I think there's a couple things, as you read through several texts, there's a couple things that become clear. And the first is that it made Israel different. At this time, most of the world did not practice this act, so it became a physical reminder of a spiritual truth that God was calling Israel to be different. God was calling Israel 
to be holy. That's the, the spiritual thing behind it. It's, it's, it's different. It's holy. And so every time, all right, not to be, I really don't mean this as crass at all, but you can just kind of go with it. Every time Abraham used the restroom, or every time he changed Ishmael or, or Isaac, it became a reminder as he looked down and was helping his son, it became a reminder to them uh, that we are different. We, we are called to be different from our neighbors. And the spiritual ramifications of that, is we were called to be holy, right? We're not just called to be different circumcision-wise. We're called to be different in the way we love each other. We're called to be different uh, in the way we're righteous. We're called to be different in the way we treat our neighbors. Israel was called to be different, and circumcision was a physical reminder of that spiritual truth. The symbol also required, and I don't think this can really be debated, a radical obedience, especially the first one. All right, to ask men at the age of 75 plus to be circumcised as an act of faith to God. Abraham, I'm guessing, would have done anything. He's up in heaven looking down. He's, he would have done anything to have baptism be the sign. <laughs> He's like, in the Jesus area, you get baptism, I get surgery, right? Um, and, and so he, he may have done anything to have that, but circumcision required a level of commitment that was to remind them that having faith in God is sometimes going to hurt. That having faith in God is sometimes going to require sacrifice. Now listen, entering the covenant, easy. Abraham believed God and it was credited. Credited, I've been having trouble with that word all stinking day. Credited to him as righteousness. Entering the covenant is easy. Following God, Maintaining the covenant day after day after day, faith in God can be hard and it often requires sacrifice. And sometimes it requires pain. So listen, it's one thing to say, God, I trust you to give me eternal life, right? It's one thing to say, I trust you to give me eternal life. It's another thing to say, I trust what you have to say about marriage. I trust what you have to say about finances. I trust what you have to say about my children. I trust what you have to say about my job. It's another thing to say that. Day after day after day, I will practice faithfulness to God in these areas. Right? That's, that's another kind of ball of wax that I trust Jesus. It's one thing to say I trust him with my salvation. It is another thing to say I trust him with my decisions. So circumcision, especially the first one, because most of us you know, from, you know, the, the eight day old ones that happened after that, nobody remembers. But the first one in particular, when that story got retold again and again, it was a story that reminded them that faith in God sometimes is hard and it sometimes hurts. So I think this call to faithfulness and obedience is why you see the language in this text. I don't know if you noticed it as I was reading it, but the, the, um, uh, the, the commandment to Abraham and to his family is to keep the covenant. All right, it's used uh, two or three times in the text. In other words, God is saying, listen, I have made promises to you, Abraham. I've made promises to make your name great, to give you uh, the land of Canaan, to bless the entire world through your family. I have made promises to you, but here's what's underneath this. Don't just be a consumer. Don't just be a consumer. Abraham, you make some promises to me as well, right? This is a relationship we're in. You don't just, I'm not just making promises to you. You make promises to me, promises to walk in faith, promises to obey my word. You make promises on your end. Have you ever seen, uh, seen a, a scene play out in a movie 
where like a young man and a young woman are in love and they're kind of in puppy love or whatever. And one of them breaks the, the mold first and is gonna say, I love you. And he says, you know, the guy says to his girlfriend, hey, I love you so much. And she says, that means a lot to me. Or thank you for those words. Or I really appreciate that you feel that way. <laughs> no, yeah, yeah. you never want to say, when you are the first one to say, I love you, what do you want to hear back? You want it to be reciprocated back, not, hey, babe, I love you so much. That means the world to me to hear you say that. No, that is not what you want to hear. That is not a good Valentine's Day either, right? That is not what you want to hear. You want to hear, I love you back. Love is meant to be reciprocated. And God, through these different covenants in the Bible, God is saying to Abraham and through Jesus, God is saying to us, I love you. I'm making promises to you. But love is meant to be reciprocated. And so we make promises back. We make pledges back. We, we pledge our obedience. We pledge our faithfulness. We pledge to walk with him. Now, you might be tempted to say, all this is great for Abraham, uh, but what about Sarah? Is she involved in any of this a, 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 as well? Because she can't be circumcised. I learned that in eighth grade science. Um, but God does this interesting thing. See, I just thought that was such a killer joke. And that, <laughs> that barely landed either service. I, hmm. Might be delivery. I don't know. But um, God, <laughs> God, God does this interesting thing in this text. There's a name change with Sarah. Now, earlier it happened with Abraham, but now there's a name change with Sarah where God is saying, hey, her name was Sarai, and now it's gonna be Sarah. And it's almost as if uh, there's identity before the promise and there's identity after the promise. And it's a really beautiful thing. God's like, man, you are forever changed. Let's just change your name, all right? And we don't still practice this today, but it's kind of a cool thing in the Old Testament. Let's just change your name because your identity has been marked by these promises. Your identity has been marked by this relationship with me. And we have struggled with identity in this country, trying to figure out what our identity should be in, right? Should it be in our occupation or our children? Should it be in our sexuality or our gender? And my prayer for us has been, as a nation, is that we would find our identity in the promises of God, that he would identify us, he would name us, that his relationship to us would be the defining characteristic of our life, and he would shape us and direct our steps and give us our identity. Now, you might remember in the book of Acts that this whole thing of circumcision became like a real big deal. Right? And, and the, the deal became once Jesus came and Jesus offered his promises and his covenant, he said, hey, I'm kind of doing a new thing. If you want to enter into a new covenant, you come in and the first kind of people in were the Jewish people. And then it began to go out to Gentiles and this major, major church debate uh, arose about do these Gentiles need to be circumcised? As adults, do we need to go back to this passage in Genesis and, and do it to the Gentiles? Do they need to be circumcised as a sign and symbol of their faith in, in Jesus? And you can imagine how awkward this conversation was. It's like, I mean, what do you do? Like, get up and preach the sermon and say, hey, I'm really glad that you all were here. Like, I end our service. I'm really glad that you're all here. Hope you were blessed by the service. Uh, we've got a medical professional down in the fellowship hall. Um, we're just going to ask you all to just go down there and we're gonna, you know, circumcise you. Yeah, you know, it's, it's a really weird conversation to have, but that was the conversation is, should these Gentiles be circumcised? And James, the brother of Jesus, he delivered, they had a church meeting about it, 
because you have to have a church meeting about all sorts of things. And uh, they had a church meeting about it, and James, the brother of Jesus, stood up, and let me put this on the screen for you. He said, after a lot of debate, he said, it's my judgment, therefore, that we should not make it difficult for the Gentiles who are turning to God. Surgery's difficult. We shouldn't make it difficult. And it's a recognition that God was doing this new thing through Jesus. And we've been talking in this series, because you can't help but talk about it when you talk about Abraham. We've been talking about how in Jesus, we are invited into this covenant where Jesus is making these promises to us and we are called to believe. Just like Abraham was called to believe his covenant, we are called to believe in the covenant of Jesus. So Jesus makes these promises like, I'll forgive your sins. We are called to believe that. Jesus makes these promises like, I will give you eternal life. We are called to believe that. Jesus says, I will show you the best way to live. I will give you my Holy Spirit. And we are called to belief. We are called to faith. We are called to trust. Now that being said, just like way back in Genesis, there were signs and symbols of the old covenant. There are signs of the new covenant as well. That when someone has said, I believe, Jesus, I believe your promises, there are signs that accompany that. Um, just like there were signs with Abraham. And glory to God, our signs are not circumcision, right? Our signs are not circumcision. Our signs and our symbols are a little bit different. But I want to kind of walk you through a few New Testament texts in terms of, like, when you cross the line of faith, what does faith look like? What are the signs and what are the symbols that a person has said yes to Jesus? All right, here's what Paul said. All of these are Paul, because he was, uh, uh, he spoke a lot on this particular topic. But he said, circumcision is nothing and uncircumcision is nothing in other words do whatever you want to do on that subject with with your boys and and your men do whatever you want to do circumcision is nothing uncircumcision is nothing second corinthians 7 or first corinthians 7 excuse me keeping god's commands is what counts so paul says somebody who has said yes to jesus somebody who has crossed the line of faith and is in covenant with him, desires to keep his commands. And again, this makes total sense because we trust him, but we're not just trusting him with our eternity, we're trusting him with our day to day. So it makes sense that we would enter that covenant and say, Jesus, I trust you. Command me, help me, show me, point me in the right direction. And when our kids are young, man, if your kids are young, if your grandkids are young, you know, you're trying to teach this to them all the time, to trust you to trust your commands. And so you give positive reinforcement to say, hey, look, trusting me goes well, right? And you give them negative reinforcement to say, hey, look, not trusting me results in bad things, right? And just when they're young, you're, you're trying to send this message home and, and, and reinforce this idea that they can trust you. And again, Jesus's grace is ever present when we fall short but we want one of the defining characteristics of our heart and our mind to be a desire to follow his commands, a posture of humility, right? To say, command me, Jesus, command me, command me, show me, empower me, help me to live the life you have called me to live. Help me to trust your ways. Help me to trust your will. Galatians 5. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision has any value at all. The only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love, right? So a defining sign and symbol of someone who has crossed that line of faith is faith expressing itself in love. 
And this is one of those things that, if I can be just humble here for a minute, this is one of those, you know, offer my humble feedback that this is one of those things that has taken a hit during 2020. That we have lost our way in Christendom with this truth a little bit. We have bought into a lie that faith is expressed in a certain political candidate or faith is expressed in our rights or faith is expressed in being right. And Paul makes this clear again and again, faith is best expressed in love. And it makes a ton of sense because in this covenant with Jesus, we have been forever changed by his love. That he came, he lived a perfect life, he went to the cross because he loves. Great thing to talk about on Valentine's Day. I was nervous about the circumcision sermon. Why? It's all about love, right? <laughs> right? He, he uh, came and he demonstrated his love through the cross. Uh, he helps us, he empowers us through his resurrection. He teaches us with his life and we are forever changed by his love. And love, properly understood, it doesn't just flow to a lot of us think that, that man, I am the recipient of his love. It does flow to you, but it is meant to flow through you. And so it's meant to come to you, to change you, and then flow through you to your neighbors, your friends, your relatives, and listen, even your enemies, even your enemies, it flows to you and through you. We demonstrate it because we have been changed by it, Galatians 6. Neither circumcision nor uncircumcision means anything. What counts is the new creation. Right? A defining sign of someone who has crossed that line of faith is that they are a new creation. 2 Corinthians, uh, Corinthians 3.18 says that as we draw close to Jesus, the Holy Spirit invades us and he begins to transform us into the likeness of our Savior. Paul says it in Galatians uh, 5, just a chapter earlier, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. You examine every one of those attributes and they describe Jesus. And so the Spirit is working us into the likeness of Jesus. He's transforming us. So one of the defining characteristics of someone who has said yes to Jesus, that yes, I trust you, yes, I believe your promises, is they are being changed. They are being changed by the Holy Spirit, and they are looking more and more like Jesus over time, right? It's not like just all of a sudden, it's not an on-off on, switch. All of a sudden, like, sin goes off, and it's just done forever. It's not like that. Right? It's more of a meandering stream. Right? And the Holy Spirit is working and helping us and guiding us. And over time, we are changed and transformed. But I guarantee you, every person in here, regardless of how long they've been following Jesus, could probably identify three, four things that's like, the Spirit's had a real hard time getting that out of me. <laughs> Right, you know, like you know, maybe you're like when I'm in traffic or when I'm at the office, or there's still these things that happen that the Spirit's working on me, the Spirit's changing me, but it's been a process. Philippians three, two more. For it is we who are the circumcision, we who serve God by His Spirit, who boast in Christ Jesus, and who put no confidence in the flesh. Again, another defining attribute of someone who has said yes to Jesus is the desire to serve God. It makes total sense because the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. So we have been changed by his service. We have been transformed by his service. And again, it doesn't just uh, flow to us. That would be a consumer mentality. 
right? That I've been served by Jesus and that's good enough for me. It doesn't just flow to us, it flows through us. And so we've been changed by it and transformed by it. And so we uh, seek to serve our family, our church, our community, and those in our life. We seek to sacrifice and to serve daily in Jesus' name. Last one, Colossians 2. In him, you were also circumcised with a circumcision not performed by human hands. So now Paul's going a different angle here. Now he says there is a circumcision, but it's not performed by human hands. Your whole self ruled by the flesh was put off when you were circumcised by Christ. Right? So our circumcision is from Christ. Having been buried with him in baptism, in which you also were raised with him through faith and the working of God who raised him from the dead. So kind of a graphic description to start that you were circumcised by Christ. In other words, and this is gonna be a little bit just graphic for a minute, but here's what he means by that. Christ did the saving, right? It was Christ who did the circumcision. He did the saving. He did the rescuing. He did this cutting. He did the cutting, right? He did the surgical cuts to change us and transform us. But another sign or symbol of that person that has said yes to Jesus, another additional sign or symbol is the symbol of baptism, And baptism becomes this beautiful, beautiful symbol of what it looks like to say yes to Jesus and what it looks like to cross that line of faith. If you think about the last baptism you saw, that we are buried with him and our sins are forgiven through his death, all right? So you've got that sign and symbol. And then we are raised to life and able to live different lives because of his resurrection, So this becomes a symbol of what it looks like to say yes to Jesus. Our sins are forgiven and we are raised to new life. What a beautiful symbol it is. What a beautiful sign that it is. And if you haven't been baptized, I'd encourage you to do that. Because it is a cool way to proclaim to the people around you and the people in this church and the people that you care about. It is a beautiful way to proclaim your yes to Jesus. It's a beautiful way to proclaim, I believe I believe he can forgive my sins. I believe his ways are best. I believe he has given me eternal life. I believe, I believe, I believe. And baptism becomes a beautiful sign and a beautiful symbol of that truth. Jesus came to offer us a new covenant. A new covenant. He makes promises to you. You believe. That's my prayer. You believe. You have faith. And your life will be forever marked through that faith your life will be forever marked by these beautiful things. Love, sacrifice, service, obedience to commands, uh, new life, new creation. Jesus came to do that and Jesus came to offer it to you. But it starts with a yes. Have you ever noticed as a side note that when we do those baptisms of that sign and that symbol, that the very first thing before we put anybody in the water, the very first thing we say is, hey, repeat after me. You remember the first two words? I believe. It's the very first thing we ask someone to say before we put them under the water. I believe. I believe Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God, and I trust him for my salvation. You believe? Here's a sign and a symbol of that belief. Hey, we're gonna enter into another sign or symbol. Um, We're gonna receive communion together. And it's an opportunity for us to to engage um, in a sign and a symbol of what Jesus did for us. And, And this is for people who believe. For people who have said, I believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. It's an opportunity to remember his death. It's an opportunity to remember his resurrection. And so what I want to do is I want to thank Jesus for what he's done. 
uh, and then um, I'll leave a little bit of time of quiet for you to spend time with God, and then I'll come back in and we'll receive it uh, together as a church family, all right? Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you for your new thing. We thank you for your new covenant that you have invited us into. My prayer is that we would say yes to you, that we would have faith in you, that we would believe you, and that belief would be credited to us as righteousness through Christ and through his work, and that we would be forever changed and transformed by it, that people around us would see all these signs and symbols of what a person who has said yes looks like. Not perfectly, because we want to point people to Jesus, who was the perfect example, but that they would see those things in us. They would see love in us. They would see service in us. They would see sacrifice in us. They would see our lives and our families being changed. We thank you for the work that you're going to do. And right now, we want to lift these prayers and requests up to you. It is in the name of Jesus that we pray. Amen. His body given as an invitation into the new covenant. His blood poured out as an invitation. May we say yes to Jesus, not just on the day of our salvation, but may we say yes to him every day. And may we be changed and transformed by his spirit and may the people around us see these signs and these symbols that we have given our life to Christ. Hey, next Sunday... Uh, we're hoping that it won't be, you know, negative 100 or something like that. Um, uh, but next Sunday, we're going to continue on in this sermon series. And we didn't, we just barely hit on it today uh, because we're going to see Sarah do the same thing next week. And we wanted to hit on it then. But Sarah's going to laugh at God's promises. And uh, before we judge her too harshly, I think that might be a more common uh, reaction to God and his promises than you might think, right? Um, have you ever heard someone say the statement of, hey, um, I'm going to church tomorrow and I hope that the church isn't struck by lightning? <laughs> it, you know, that sort of thing. Well, that's not going to happen. And, and that is kind of laughing at God has invited you into this thing. It's like, oh, no, that's not for me. No, it is for you. It is for you. And so we're going to stop laughing and start believing. Um, is, uh, that's what Sarah needed to do, and uh, that's what we're going to do. So we're going to cover that text uh, fully next Sunday and uh, just talk about what, laughing at God and uh, moving closer to belief than laughter. So, hey, thank you for being here. Uh, God bless and have a great week.